Welcome back to another exciting episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie, and let's get started. All right, so let's look into the history of people predicting the future and times when it actually came true. Um, I know you've probably heard of prophets, but there's also oracles and uh, just spiritual people that... You know, for some reason or another, like, you know, Baba Venga or Nostradamus, to name a few, uh, who just seem to be enlightened and be able to reach into the future and accurately predict stuff. So with that in mind, let's jump into our first article. All right. We're going to start by going over to grunge.com, where they have an article on ancient... This is by Benito Sereno. For as long as there has been written history, there are records of people trying to predict the future through a special connection with a deity or a world of spirits. From mythological seers such as Tiresias to biblical prophets such as Isaiah to historical priests and priestesses such as the oracles of Delphi and Thebes, it turns out if you throw enough stuff at the wall over like five millennia, some of that stuff is going to stick. The Delphic Oracle was pretty handy, handily the most famous prophet of ancient Greece, a priestess of Apollo who spoke in riddles that were interpreted into other different riddles by a class of priests called prophetai, which is the original word for prophet. Many famous ancient people of both Greece and Rome consulted the Delphic Oracle, and so it will pop up a few times in this list. One such ancient famous person was the Athenian lawgiver Solon, who in 594 BCE was given the task of reworking the laws of Athens after the code handed down by Draco, which were so severe that we to this day use the word draconian to refer to his overly harsh laws. Rather than appointing himself god-king of everything, like he could have, Solon decided to consult the oracle for advice in shaping Athens' future. The reply he received was, sit in the middle of the ship, guiding straight the helmsman's task. Many of the Athenians will be your helpers. This, by the way, is what we meant by riddle. Salon thankfully got the right idea. He's not the boss of everyone, but his job is to guide the ship and everyone has to work together. So he instituted a series of reforms such as trial by jury, ended debt slavery, and a number of changes that lessened the gap between the aristocracy and the common people. Salon's reform at the Oracle's advice helped lead the Greeks towards the democracy they're so famous for inventing today. Croesus was the king of Lydia, today basically western Turkey, and was so good at accumulating wealth that we still to this day use the phrase rich as Croesus to mean someone with too much money. According to the legend, his wealth came from the fact that the sands of the river Pactolus in Lydia were rich with gold due to King Midas washing away his gold-touch curse there. The Delphic Oracle helps the Greeks win the Persian War. You saw the movie 300, right? Well, then you know that in 480 BCE, Xerxes, the king of Persia, invaded Greece in an attempt to 
succeed where his father Darius had failed. You also know that a handful of plucky, naked Spartans managed to hold off a much long, larger invading force of Thermopylae until they were betrayed. If you saw 300, you also know that despite all the shouting and performative masculinity, all the Spartans died at Thermopylae, and it was up to Athens to win the Persian War. According to the ancient historian Herodotus, the Athenians decided to consult the Delphic Oracle about how to proceed with the war. The first response was, not great. It literally began with, you idiots, why are you still sitting here? Run for your lives. The Athenians, needless to say, were not happy with this response, and asked if the gods had anything else to say. The second response came back saying basically that the Greeks would still probably be destroyed, but their only hope would come in the form of wooden walls. Several Athenian leaders said, great, build that wall, let's do it. But a young commander named Themistocles, boats are made of wood, you see. Fortunately, they listened to him, and long story short, the Athenian navy stopped the Persian invasion at the Battle of Salamis, kind of. History is very complicated, folks. Read a book. Josephus fudges a prophecy about Vespian, but it comes true anyway. Joseph ben Mattathias was born in the year 37 BCE and was a great student of Jude Jewish law and history. By 67 CE, however, he found himself entangled in various Jewish revolts against the Roman Empire. And during a Roman siege of the city of Jotapata, he found himself in a suicide pact as one does. The idea was that the army would rather die than to be captured. But Josephus argued that suicide was an unforgivable sin, and they should all murder each other instead. That's better somehow. Anyway, Joseph survived and found himself confronted by the Roman general Vespian. In order to appease this conqueror, Joseph repeated a messianic prophecy, probably the so-called star prophecy, and applied it to Vespian, saying he would come out of Palestine and rule the whole world, for which he was branded as a traitor. He was appointed as a liaison for the Romans and the Jewish revolutionaries, but it didn't work out and the temples was destroyed and the revolution was put down. Joseph's impromptu prophecy came true in 68 CE. The emperor Nero committed suicide, and after a quick succession of three other guys, Vespian became emperor. Joseph was freed and given the name Titus Flavius Josephus, meaning that he had the same family name as Vespian. He went on to become one of the greatest historians of Judaism and the religion during the Roman Empire. Delphic Oracle predicts his own demise. One last prophecy from the Delphic Oracle, literally. The Roman Emperor Julian was known as the Apostate, which is a person who backslides from or renounces a particular set of religious beliefs. You see, he became emperor in 361 CE and was the nephew of Constantine the Great, whom you may know as the emperor who legalized Christianity in Rome and ultimately led to Rome becoming Christian. Julian was considered an apostate because, well, he hated Christianity and wanted to return to the traditional Roman religious values. He said Christianity, which he called Galilean trickery, was a hillbilly religion and so tried to restore the classier cow-murdering religion of his youth. According to legend, in 362, Julian sent the physician and medical writer Obasuius to the Delphic Oracle to see what was up. 
Julian wanted to restore the oracle to prominence, and he had even exempted them from taxes, an attempt to help. Apparently, the oracle was in bad shape at this time. Following years of neglect by the now largely Christian Rome, the priestess offered to Oribasius one last major prophecy about the oracle's own downfall. Tell the emperor that my hall has fallen to the ground. Apollo no longer has his house, nor his mantic bay, nor his prophetic spring. The water has dried up. Julian died the next year, and Christianity train kept rolling unimpeded. The lost or the last ever prophecy from Delphi came in 393 when the zealous Christian emperor Theodosius closed it for good. All is ended. All right. The prophecy of the popes predicts, well, all of the popes. The end of the Roman Empire means the end of antiquity. So let's jump ahead a bit and look at prophecy that claims to be from the 12th century. The prophecy of the Archbishop St. Malachi about the popes, better known as the prophecy of the popes. This prophecy was published in 1595 as part of a book called Lignum Vitae, or Word of Life, who knows, which was a history of the Benedictine monks that claimed to be a 12th century prophecy by Saint Malachi that predicts all the popes from 1143 onward. Given that this prophecy didn't actually appear until 1595, and all the Pope's predictions are super accurate until about 1590, this has made some people suspicious of the authenticity of this prophecy, but plenty of people believe it. Here are a sample prediction. The 11th clue is the sus in cribro, which means pig in a sieve, which is something we all want for a Pope. Who was the Pope in the sieve? Urban III. How do we know? Because this pope's name was actually Crivelli, which means sieve, and his family has a pig on their coat of arms. Believe it or not, the prophecies last until the current pope, which is the previous clue, Gloria Olevi, or Glory of the Olive, pertaining to how much Benedict loves olives, apparently. But the final pope and our current pope is supposedly to be Petrus Romanus, Peter the Roman, during whose tenure the world ends. It could still happen. All right. Nostradamus predicts Hitler. You probably were thinking to yourself, oh boy, Nostradamus. Well, you shouldn't have, because Mikel de Nostrom lived in the 16th century, which isn't really ancient. But you're in luck, because we knew you'd be expecting him. So here he is. Nostradamus, as he is known, is famous for the the 1555 book Les Prophetes, or The Prophecies, in which he predicts major world events in mysterious quatrains that have been subsequently interpreted to be about everything from the death of Henry II to 9-11, which puts him in the same class as the venerable prophetess or the prophets as the X-Files spinoff The Lone Gunman. Anyway, he predicted Hitler, maybe. Two quatrains are said to be about him. From the depths of Western Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the east. And beasts ferocious with hunger will cross the rivers. The greater part of the battlefield will be against Hister. Into a cage of iron will the great one be drawn. 
when the child of Germany observes nothing. Well, there you have it. Hister and Hitler are kind of almost the same. Hitler definitely seduced a great troop with his tongue. Gross. The East is where Japan is. So, okay, Germany is mentioned. Let's call this one a win for Nostradamus. All right. Nostradamus predicts a great fire of London. All right, let's roll with Nostradamus for a minute and see if he can get another one. Nostradamus's predictions were meant to be long-term prophecies covering hundreds of years. His original intent was for Les Prophetes to run 10 volumes, covering about 2,000 years. That didn't happen, but his works still do manage to cover a wide variety of disasters from many different centuries. So here's one from a little closer to Nostradamus' own time but still a full century after his death. This one is nice because it's an actual number in it. So it narrows down the predictions to applying to 1566, 1666, 1766, and so on. Or, you know, sometime in the future. However, it turns out that London was actually burned by a considerable fire that lasted for three days and more or less destroyed the city in 1666. The prediction says that many will be killed, Though the death toll from the fire is thought to be just six people, some say it's because lots of rats died. Alright, Mark Twain predicts his own death to the day. To follow up on the ancient and medieval and early modern prophecies, here are a couple of more modern ones to go out on, starting with someone not usually associated with predicting the future, Mark Twain. The great American writer and humorist, behind various things you read in high school. Twain, whose real name was Samuel Clemens, was born in 1835, which by coincidence hap happened to be the year in which Halley's Comet was passing by the Earth, an event that only happens about once every 75 years. In 1909, when he was more than old enough to appreciate this coincidence, he said, I came in with Halley's Comet in 1835, it is coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Halley's Comet. The Almighty has said, no doubt. Now here are the two unaccountable freaks. They came in together, and they must go out together. Guess what? The two freaks went out together. Twain died of a heart attack the following year, one day after Halley's Comet was at its brightest. Dude not only wrote the great American novel, but called the shot on his own death. That's a pretty boss move, and it puts him in the company of guys like William the Conqueror and Genghis Khan, who also saw Halley's Comet as a personal omen. H.G. Wells predicts all of modern technology. This one isn't ancient, but it also stretches the definition of prophecy. It's still pretty cool though, and there are already quite a bit of Delphic Oracle in this list so maybe you'll be fine with it. Anyway, Herbert George Wells, known as H.G. Wells, is one of the most influential writers in the history of science fiction, with such works as War of the Worlds, The Time Machine, and The Invisible Man, all counted as stone-cold classics in the genre. In addition to being a compelling storyteller, a powerhouse imagination, Wells had also had the benefit of training as a scientist, meaning that many of the fantastic elements of his novels had a grounding in realistic science. As a result, many of his works include elements of science that have been, that were then fantastical, but since have become real science. 
Many of them have been cataloged in the Smithsonian Magazine. Examples include wireless phones in the Men Like Gods, audiobooks in the Sleeper Wakes, genetic engineers in the Island of Dr. Moreau, uh, lasers in the World the Worlds, atomic bombs in the World Set Free, all in the late 19th and early 20th century. Fortunately, Wells has so far been wrong about the Martians invading Earth, but he did have his intent, intended epitaph, I told you so, you damned fools, which is probably the only bigger boss move than Twain calling a shot. Edgar Casey predicts the stock market crash of 1929. Edgar Casey was an American mystic from Kentucky whose claim to fame was entering into a trance and uttering prophecies on such wide topics as wars, Atlantis, mergers among communication companies, and the Earth's magnetic poles. Because of the, his prediction for telling the future while in trance, he is popularly known as the Sleeping Prophet, and he is generally considered to have been at the forefront of the New Age movement. His proponents include such notable names as Woodrow Wilson, Thomas Edison, and George Gershwin. According to Edward Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment, in 1925, Casey was doing a reading for a doctor and told him that he would come into a great deal of money and that he should be careful because of adverse forces that will come then in 1929. Then later in 1929, six months before the stock market crash that helped lead to the Great Depression, he warned of a great disturbance in financial circles and that we may expect a considerable break in bear market. See, this issue being between those of the reserves of nation and the individuals and will, of course, unless other of the more stable banking conditions come to relief, a great disturbance in financial circles. Not only did all of this turn out to be right, it was also way more specific than anything Nostradamus said. In this case, Mighty Casey did not strike out. Reader's Digest, where they have nine incredibly historical predictions that actually came true by Beth Dreher. What do Wi-Fi, the moon landing, and debit cards have in common? Well, they were all prophesied by great thinkers more than a century before they came into existence. Nikola Tesla predicted Wi-Fi and mobile phones in 1909, more than 60 years before the first cell phone and 90 years prior to the introduction of Wi-Fi. Nikola Tesla, a gifted electrical engineer and former right-hand man of Thomas Edison, told the New York Times, it will soon be possible to transmit wireless messages all over the world so simply that any individual can carry and operate their own apparatus. But there's one town that still doesn't have Wi-Fi. Meet Green Bank, West Virginia, where you can't make a call or send a text on your cell phone. All right, number two. Jules Verne imagined a man on the moon in 1865. More than a century before Neil Armstrong took one giant step for mankind, science fiction author Jules Verne wrote about two men bound for the moon aboard a projectile fired from a cannon in his novel From Earth to the Moon. Verne even set the rocket launch in Florida, now the site of the Kennedy Space Center. Ray Bradbury foretold earbuds in 1953. In a poetic passage of Fahrenheit 451 that would make Steve Jobs jealous, Ray Bradbury described 
described the now ubiquitous miniature headphones this way. In her ears, like little seashells, the thimble radios tamped right tight and an electronic ocean of sound of music, talk, and music, and talk coming in, coming in on the shore of her unsleeping mind. All the way to 1888, Edward Bellamy envisioned the debit card in 1888. Debit cards became widely used in the late 1980s, but science fiction writer Edward Bellamy described a similar concept in his utopian novel, Looking Backwards, 2000 to 1887. In a chapter 9, Dr. Lattay explains to Mr. West that in the New World, a credit corresponding to his share of the annual per- product of the nation is given to every citizen, and a credit card issued to him in which he procures at the public storehouses whatever he desires. Right? 1660. Robert Boyle predicted organ transplants in 1660s. Nearly 300 years before the first major organ transplant in 1954, Robert Boyle, known as the father of modern chemistry, predicted in a note in his personal journal, The Cure of Diseases by Transplantation. Experts also credit Boyle for foresight about LSD, aspirin, and sleeping pills. 1968, author C. Clark imagined the iPad in 1968. Clark's futuristic novel, 2001, A Space Odyssey, predated the iPad by 42 years, but his description of the newspad was spot on. Floyd would plug his full, full scap size newspad into the ship's information circuit and scan the latest reports from Earth. The postage stamp sized rectangle would expand until it neatly filled the screen. When he was finished, he would flash back to the complete page and select a new subject for detailed examination. John Brunner predicted the 2010 American president of in 1968. In one of the eeriest predilection examples in John Brunner's novel, Stand on Zanzibar, America in 2010 is run by a President Obama. We go over to BBC, where they have 10 100-year predictions that came true by Tom Geoghan. Or in 1900, an American civil engineer called John Elfrith Watkins made a number of predictions about what the world would be like in 2000. How did he do this? As is customary at this start of a new year, the media has been full of predictions about what may happen in the months ahead, but a much larger forecast made in 1900 by a relatively unknown engineer has been recirculating in the past few days. In December of that year, at the start of the 20th century, John Elfrith Watkins wrote a piece published on page 8 of an American women's magazine, Ladies Home Journal, entitled What May Happen in the Next Hundred Years. He began the article with words, These prophecies will seem strange and almost impossible, explaining that he had consulted the country's greatest institutions of science and learning for their opinions on 29 subjects. Watkins was a writer for the journal's sister magazine, the Saturday Evening Post, based in Indianapolis. The Post brought this article to the modern audience last week when its history editor, Jeff Nilsson wrote a feature praising Watkins' accuracy. It was picked up and caused somewhat excitement on Twitter. So what did Watkins get right and what did he get wrong? 10 predictions that Watkins got right. Number one, digital color photography. 
Watkins did not, of course, use the word digital and spell out precisely how digital cameras and computers would work, but he accurately predicted how people would come to use new photographic technology. Photographs will be telegraphed from a distance. If there be a battle in China a hundred years hence, snapshots of its most striking events will be published in the newspapers an hour later. Photographs will reproduce all of nature's colors. This showed major foresight, said Mr. Nielsen. When Watkins was making his predictions, it would also take in, it would have taken a week for a picture of something happening in China to make its way to Western papers. People thought photography itself was a miracle, and color photography was very experimental, he says. The idea of having cameras gather information from the opposite end of the world and transmitting them, he wasn't just taking a present technology and looking to the next step. It was far beyond what anyone was saying at the time. Patrick Tucker from the World Future Science Society, based in Maryland in the U.S., thought Watkins might even be hinting at a much larger future breakthrough. Photographs will be telegraphed, read strikingly, like how we access information from the web, said Mr. Tucker. Number two, the rising height of Americans. Americans will be taller from one to two inches. Watkins had unerringly accuracy here, says Mr. Nielsen. The average American in 1900 was about 66 to 67 inches tall, and by 2000, the average was 69 inches. Today, it's 69.5 inches for men and 64 inches for women. Number three, he got mobile phone. Wireless telephone and telegraph circuits will span the world. A husband in the middle of the Atlantic will be able to converse with his wife sitting in her boudoir in Chicago. Will it be able to telephone in China quite as readily as we can talk from New York to Brooklyn? International phone calls were unheard of in Watkins Day. It was another 15 years before the first call was made by Alexander Graham Bell, even from one coast of the U.S. to the other. The idea of wireless telef telephony was truly revolutionary. Number four, pre-prepared meals. Ready-cooked meals will be bought from establishments similar to our bakeries of today. The proliferation of ready meals in supermarkets and takeaway shops in high streets suggests Watkins was right. Although he envisioned the meals would be delivered on plates, which would be returned to the cooking establishment to be washed. Five, slow, slowing population growth. There will be probably from 350 million to 500 million people in America. The figure is too high, says Nielsen, but at least Watkins was guessing in the right direction. If the U.S. population had grown by the same rate it did between 1800 and 1900, it would have exceeded 1 billion in 2000. Instead, we grew just 360%, reaching 280 million at the start of the new century. Number six, hot house vegetables. Winter will be turned into summer and night into day by the farmer, said Watkins, with electric wires under the soil and large gardens under glass. Right? He talked about vegetables being bathed in powerful electric light, serving like sunlight to hasten their growth. Number seven was television. Uh, number eight was tanks. Number nine was bigger fruit. Number 10 was the Acela Express, basically trains. No more C, X, or Q. There will be no C, X, or Q in our everyday alphabet. They will be abandoned because of Let's go over to The Guardian, where they have an article, War in Ukraine, Death of the Queen, Elizabeth, or Elon Musk, 
Why are Nostradamus' predictions still winning converts? By Stuart Jeffries. There's good and bad news. The good news is that, as you may have noticed, the world didn't end July 4th, 1999. Hence the headline in The Guardian on May Monday, f July 5th, 1999. Nostradamus wrong. Please ignore if the world ended yesterday. Writing 450 years earlier, the French astrologer seemed to have predicted the end in, for him, usually date-specific terms. The year 1999, seven month, from the sky shall come a great king of terror, shall be revived the great king of Angolmois. Before and after, Mars shall reign as chance will have it. The king of terror, Nostradamus's interpreter suggested, was the Antichrist. Others argued that Angolmois is a near anagram of Mongolius, the 16th century French term for Mongolians. Invasions of Europe from the east was imminent, whether by Russians, Chinese, or tooled-up descendants of Genghis Khan riding like Dothraki hordes was uncertain. Nostradamus expert Professor Alexander Tolman found the matter so worrying that he retreated into his bunker in Lower Austria to wait out the catastrophe that never came. The bad news is that if you thought 2022 was a rotten year, don't delude yourself that 2023 will be any better. Nostradamus' writings are now being used to forecast a European apocalypse. The basis for this prediction is the following quotation. Seven months, the Great War, people dead of evil doing, Rowan and Ver shall not fall to the king. Some have predicted or interpreted this to mean that escalation of the Ukraine conflict to the Third World War is imminent. The Daily Star's futurological correspondence offers sensible advice. The seventh month timeline on the conflict may initially seem like a cause for celebration, but with the terrifying nuclear arsenals of countries including America and Russia, perhaps it's best to err on the side of caution. Parisians would be well advised to hole up in ruin until things calm down. Rowan being a place. Perhaps Nostradamus is an unreliable guide to the future. Between about 1547 and 1555, he reportedly dictated 400 or 942 poetic prophetic quatrains to his secretary while high on nutmeg which causes hallucinations when taken in large doses. Even in this lifetime, he was trolled mercil mercilessly. A certain brainless and lunatic idiot, as he was called, ran 1558's first invective of Lord Hercules, the Frenchman against Monstradamus, who is shouting nonsense and publishing his prognostications and fantasies on the street, but Nostradamus posthumously triumphed over his detractors. His quatrains, published in 1555 as Les Prophéties, have never gone out of print and have been claimed to have predicted the execution of Charles I, the Great Fire of London, the French Revolution, the rise and fall of Napoleon and Hitler, the shooting of JFK, the assassination of Benazir Bhutto, the 9-11 attacks, the 2015 mass murders in Paris, even the abdication of King Charles III, of which more later. 
Certainly in 2022, Nostradamus is a literary phenomena. A book of interpretations on his supposed prophecies last month topped the Sunday Times bestsellers list after apparently predicting when Queen Elizabeth II would die. Nostradamus, The Complete Prophecies of the Future by Mario Redding sold almost 8,000 copies in a week, ending September 17th, after the selling only five copies the week before the Queen's death. In this book, published in 2006, Redding claimed to have found something that others who have poured over Nostradamus had missed, that his quatrains are number indexed to correlate with dates. Hence, for instance, quatrain 1022 purported to forecast the death of the queen reads because they disapproved disapproved of his divorce a man who later they considered unworthy the people will force out the king of the islands a man will replace who never expected to be king this quatrain wrote reading will come as no surprise to the british people and its wide implications the first is that Queen Elizabeth will die, circa 2022, around the age of 96. Redding, who died in 2017, went on to claim that 1022 Quatrain predicts that King Charles will abdicate because he is weary at the persistent attacks on both himself and his second wife because of resentments held against him by a certain portion of the British population, following his divorce from Diana, Princess of Wales. His interpretation didn't end there. He also reckoned that Prince Harry will become the next king, instead of his older brother William. It was also a time in which new invention of the printing press made the transmissions of ideas and crazy mad bullshit incredibly easy. It was the social media of its day. Nostradamus took advantage of these new means of spreading ideas. From 1550 onward, he produced annual almanacs that included prophetic verses. In 1554, he started writing Les Prophéties, in which he aimed to set out the future history of the world in a thousand quatrains, arranged in ten centuries. As his fame grew, Nostradamus became a close friend to the Queen of France, Catherine de' Medici, a death of whose husband, Henry II, he is supposed to have predicted in the following verse. The young lion will overcome the older one. On the field of combat and a single battle, he will pierce his eyes through a golden cage. Two wombs made one. Then he dies a cruel death. This has been taken to refer a jousting tournament in 1559 when Gabrielle, Comte de Montgomery's importunate lance burst through the king's poorly secured visor, skewing the king's eye, throat, and temple, resulting in his death 11 days later. But the prophecy veracity is in no doubt because it didn't appear in print until long after the fatal encounter. Perhaps Nostradamus didn't predict the king's death so much as make it look to future readers as if he did. That is not to suggest that Nostradamus was a charlatan, but something, something more interesting. The point of prophecy is to not give you tip-ops about share price fluctuations, but to be able to after the event to affirm that they were foreseen, argues Stephen Connor, professor of English at Cambridge University. Prophecy is only ever retroactively potent, or by the kind of anticipated retrospection that we would call postdecipation, which also means knowing too late that you might have known in advance. That said, 
at least Nostradamus predicted his own death in 1566. Mind you, given the prediction was made a day before he died, and that he was almost bedridden with arthritis, dropsy, and arteriosclerosis, perhaps this was not such assumption of his prophetic genius as a statement of the obvious. The beauty of Nostradamus is you can read whatever you wish into what he wrote. What some may consider his charlatry is viewed from another angle, his genius, says Everett Blyler, author under the pseudonym Liberty Levert of Prophecies and Enigmas of Nostradamus. Circumlocution and evasion of directness play a large part. He usually waffled in his astrological datings since conjunctions are repeated. He invoked obscure Latin words to create possible possibilities of double meanings. He omitted prepositions, articles, reflexives, and connectives and favored the infinitive as a timeless, personless form that can be read in many ways. As Jones puts it, Nostradamus had the virtue of vagueness combined with apocalyptic fervor. That's not unusual. Many sayers of sooth, from Merlin to Joffrey of Monmouth onwards, have done the same. This vagueness lends itself to what we know, what we now know as confirmation bias. In desperate times, soothsayers have a ready audience for their insane nonsense. It's the meeting point of cynicism and gullibility. The last point makes Nostradamus sound thoroughly modern. Those guys didn't have social media, says Jones, but what they were producing then would serve now as the fuel pellets on which social media run. Increasingly, Nostradamus is spreading through social media. T.S. Eliot wrote that humankind cannot bear much reality. Today, when life seems irremediably chaotic, our politicians catastrophic and the future more ungraspable, we desperately seek patterns, narratives, and meanings. At moments of great change or social anxiety, we do tend to go looking for explanations, says Jones. We want the past and the future to make narrative sense. The point of the prophet is to provide us by showing us mug what we have not noticed, be it providential working out of a larger, perhaps God-determined purpose, the march of progress, or as Stephen Connor puts it, a redemptive parabola rising from fall to forgiveness. Nostradamus is anything but soothing. His verses are almost pathologically non-committals, as to cause or deserts, argues Connor. The cost of knowing what is to come is for Nostradamus, that history loses all direction and coherence. But none of that matters to the thriving Nostradamus industry. Interpretations of looming disasters based on fanciful readings of his verses are still coming thick and fast. His remarks that man will be eating man because the bushels of wheat will become so high, for example, is being seen as references to calamitous events of the interruption to Ukrainian grain exports. Although its supposed corollary, the rise of cannibalism seems a bit far-fetched. Some have argued that this means Nostradamus also foresaw the looming impact of the climate crisis when he wrote, For 40 years the rainbow will not be seen. For 40 years it will be seen every day. The dry earth will grow more parched, and there will be great floods when it is seen. 
But if the prospect of floods, droughts, murderers, and King Harry and Meghan live-streaming Netflix specials from Buckingham Palace aren't enough to give you the willies about the upcoming, consider this last Nostradamus prediction, Quatrain 523, reads, The two contenders will unite together when most others unite with Mars. The African leader is fearful and trembles. The dual alliance is separated by the fleet. In his 2006 book, Redding took this to mean the world would see two powers unite together in order to combat global warfare. But that interpretation was recently doubted by Redding's son, Laurie, who is clearly following his family business by making Nostradamus' words relevant to today's world. He thinks that the African leader is a reference to the South African-born billionaire, Elon Musk, and his plans to colonize Mars. Indeed, this quatrain, with a line from another verse, the light of Mars shall go out, indicate that Musk will have to shelve his audacious plans to leave Earth for the red planet and remain among us while the world ends. Which, if true, is disappointing news. Leonard Cohen puts it best. I've seen the future, and brother, it is murder. Let's go over to Wikipedia, where I have a list of dates for predicted apocalyptic events. Isn't that fun? So we can look as far into the future as we want with the death, eventual heat death of the universe, you know, and those are even written as dates. Like they don't even put 30 million years from now. They put like 10 to the 10th power of this many years from now. <laughs> so it's pretty a long time from now. But on some more graspable dates, apparently in 2280, Rashad Khalifa predicts that according to this Egyptian-American biochemist research of the Quran, the world will end during that year, 2280. All right, December 31st, 2129, uh, Saeed Nursi. This Sunni, Sunni Muslim theologian, author of the Risali Nur and founder of the Nur movement, wrote in a letter to one of his students, the 21st in the so-called Kastamanu Appendix, that applying by applying numerology to the Hadith, he had gathered a date of 1545 for the arrival of Doomsday. 1545 in the now for some dates that are more within the next 10 years uh 2028 kent hovind while clarifying there is no way to be certain this christian fundamentalism fundamentalist evangelist uh speculated in 2015 that 2028 was the most likely year of the rapture 2026, Messiah Foundation International. This spiritual organization predicts the world will end in 2026 when an asteroid collides with the Earth in accordance to the Riyaz Ahmed Gohar Shahi's prediction in the book, The Religion of God. Let's see. November 13th, 2026. In a 1960 science article, this scientist predicted a date for the end of humanity due to overpopulation. It was November 13th, 2026. I just, 
I don't know. I don't know how anybody with surety uh, can say that, like, the world's going to end on this exact date. Um, I don't know. It kind of separates those whose predictions have come true, like Nostradamus and others. And maybe it's confirmation bias whenever they have come true because he was really vague in the prediction. Uh, but whenever these people are not vague and they're like, no, the rapture will take place on this date, they end up being disappointed because they, they were so precise. Uh, April 2014, September 2015, John Haig and Mark Blitz. The so-called Blood Moon Prophecy, first predicted by Mark Blitz in 2008 and then John Hagee in 2014. These Christian ministers claim that the Tetrad in 2014 and 2015 may represent the beginning of the Messianic end times. Some Mormons in Utah combined the September 2015 blood moons with other signs, causing a large increase in sales of preppers' survival guides. August 23rd. 2013, Grigory Rasputin. Rasputin, a Russian mystic who died in 1916, prophesied a storm would take place on this date where a fire would destroy most life on land and Jesus would come back to earth to comfort those in distress. Obviously, Rasputin being like tried to be assassinated several times and kept not dying. And it was just like, how is he still alive? He must have made a pact with the devil kind of thing. Uh, December 21st, 2012, we were supposed to end. The 2012 phenomenon predicted the world would end at the end of the 13th Baktun. The Earth would be destroyed by an asteroid, Nibiru, or some other interplanetary object, an alien invasion, or a supernova. Mayan scholars stated... To no extent, classic Maya accounts forecasted impending doom and that the idea that the long count calendars end in 1220 or 2012 misrepresented Maya history and culture. Scientists from NASA, along with expert archaeologists, stated that none of those events were possible. All right, and it just goes more and more. The more I look at all of these uh, predictions in recent years is a lot of doomsday cults and predictions of Jesus coming back. Some accompanied by violence. So all of our modern, and I'm talking like 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, 20s, all of these apocalyptic forecasts are for like Jesus to come back. So we go to history. Two of Baba Venga's prophecies for 2022 have come true. What else did she predict? Fetid as the 20th century answer to Nostradamus, a blind seer with an apparent gift of predicting world historical events. But just how accurate were these proclamations of Bulgarian prophetess Baba Venga? There was certainly no shortage of believers while she was alive. Many people, from ordinary folk to dignitaries like the Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev, sought her counsel. However, making a precise assessment of her talents is tricky, since many of the predictions attributed to her are based on secondhand accounts that are very difficult to verify. 
That said, there are some aspects of Baba Venga lore that are particularly widely reported, which still hold an eerie appeal today. Number 1. 2022 Droughts and Floods Baba Venga made a total of six predictions for 2022, while we hope her vision of a deadly virus in Siberia kickstarting another pandemic doesn't come true, two of them have already come to fruition. She predicted that large cities around the world would be hit by a significant drought and water shortages. The UK just experienced the driest July since 1935, and the government officially declared a drought in August 12, 2022. Some experts are warning that the drought in London could even continue into the new year. Other countries in Europe are also seeing similar issues as parts of France, Italy, Portugal, are, and more are facing record-breaking droughts and devastating wildfires. Baba Venga also predicted that Australia and Asia would be rocked by severe floods. In July, eight months of rain fell in Sydney in just four days, which led to flooding for the third time in 2022. Meanwhile, Japan's official weather agency has warned of flooding in Tokyo and surrounding areas as the battle as the country battles a major tropical storm. Number 2, 9/11. Some of Baba Vanga's more apocalyptic visions such as World War 3 commencing in 2010 have fortunately not come true. However, one of the most widely cited predictions related to the terrorist attacks of September 11th, which Nostradamus is also claimed predicted horror horror she reportedly said in 1989 the american brethren will fall after being attacked by steel birds the wolves will be howling in a bush and the innocent blood will be gushing according to true believers the steel birds referred to the hijacked planes when the american brethren are the twin towers it also is striking that she used the word bush this may be interpreted as a reference to then-President George W. Bush, who would lead the wolves of America, of American military, might into a retaliatory war on terror. Alright, number three, the Kursk disaster. In August 2000, the Russian nuclear submarine Kursk sank in the Barents Sea. It was a devastating accident which killed all 118 crew members on board and made headlines around the goat, around the globe. But did Baba Vanga predict the calamity? It seems so. If one of her widely reported statements is true, way back in 1980, she allegedly predicted that August 1999, Kursk would be covered with water and the whole world would weep over it. While she was referring here to the Russian city of Kursk, uh, was one year out, the parallels are undeniably uncanny. Number four, the rise of Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Many of Baba Venga's predictions involved politics, and she reportedly prophesied that the 44th U.S. president would be a black man. Surely enough, Barack Obama would take over from George W. Bush as the 44th leader of the free world. What's more, she appears to have foreseen the evolution of so-called culture war, the emergence of Donald Trump as Obama's successor in a time of cultural turmoil. According to an undated statement, everyone will put their hopes in him, which is Trump, they think, uh, to end it. But the opposite will happen. He will bring the country down and conflicts between the North and the South states will escalate. This has a sinister resonance, given that many commentators are now warning that 
incendiary differences between U.S. conservatives and progressives over hot-button issues like race, abortion, guns, that may lead the nation to a new civil war. Number five, the assassination of Indira Gandhi. Indira Gandhi, who served as Prime Minister of India in the early 1980s, was one of the most significant and controversial political figures of her time. In 1984, she ordered a military attack on the Golden Temple, the holiest site in Sikhism. In October of that year, she was shot dead by two of her Sikh bodyguards, an apparent act of revenge. Many years before, in 1969, Baba Venga had a vision of Gandhi, saying, the dress will destroy her. I see an orange-yellow dress and smoke and fire. On the fateful day the bodyguards opened fire, Indira Gandhi was indeed wearing a saffron-hued saree. Number six, her own death. One popular story circulated about Baba Vanga is that she accurately predicted the date of the Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin's death. This has been debunked by some commentators, but it seems she did predict her own death date. That's according to an interview from 1990, when she re reportedly pointed to August 11, 1996, as the day she would shuffle off this mortal coil. That was indeed the case. But with all aspects of Baba Vanga lore, the precise facts about what this mysterious and fascinating woman did or didn't say are likely to remain lost in the fog of folklore forevermore. We go over to Business Insider, where they have 16 of the most impressive predictions uh, from the past that came true. This is by Christina Stern Sturbins. The most impressive pro prognostications usually sound ridiculous at the time, but come true in the end. As science fiction writer Arthur Clarke said, if by some miracle a prophet could describe the future exactly as it was going to take place, his predictions would sound so far-fetched, so absurd, that everyone laugh him to scorn. From 1783, the U.S. population will reach 300 million by 1983. From 1840, Alexis de Tocqueville predicted the Cold War. From 1863, when only 60 elements were known, a Russian chemist designed a periodic table that predicted the weights and properties of the missing 40 perfectly. Scientists only knew about 60 or so elements. We've since discovered there are 40 more. By organizing elements, atomic weight, and various properties, Mendeleev started to see patterns. He noticed the gaps in the table and predicted elements that would likely fill them. For example, Mendeleev saw the addition of germanium, which wasn't discovered until 1886. He even named the substance Eka silicone. From 1865, Jules Verne predicted Apollo moon landing. In 1865, more than 100 years before Apollo 11, Jules Verne wrote about mankind's first trip to the moon in a short story titled From the Earth to Moon. Even, he even knew the rocket would launch from Florida. The naming of the ship, the correct number of astronauts aboard, and the feeling of weightlessness they would experience. In 1865, Verne had absolutely no way of knowing how gravity behaves differently in space. From 1898, a short story predicted the sinking of the Titanic. In 1898, a prolific short story writer named Morgan Robertson wrote a novella called Futility, or The Wreck of the Titan. Of the Titan. The book detailed how the largest ship ever made crashed into an iceberg and sank. Sound familiar? 
The RMS Titanic sank under those exact circumstances 14 years later. From 1909, Nikola Tesla predicted personal wireless devices. He says, It will soon be possible to transmit wireless messages all over the world so simply that any individual can own and operate his own apparatus. Nikola Tesla told the New York Times in 1909. From 1914, H.G. Wells predicted the atomic bomb. H.G. Wells' 1914 novel, The World Set Free, described a city destroying atomic bomb. Although Wells didn't know if or how nuclear detonation could really happen, the Manhattan Project, which designed the atomic bomb, didn't begin until 1942. He understood a bit about radioactive elements. Regardless, Wells knew that if humans figured out how to blow up these compounds simultaneously, the result would be really bad news. From 1987, er, Roger Ebert predicted video-on-demand services Netflix and Hulu. We'll have high-definition, widescreen television sets and a push-button dialing system to order the movie you want at the time you want it. Roger Ebert said in a 1987 during an interview with Omni Magazine. From 1988, Isaac Asimov predicted he would use the internet to learn. Asimov said that through computers, we'd have access to connected libraries, which would act as a teacher in the form of access to the gathered knowledge of the human species, inherently critical of the education system. Inherently critical of the education system, he dreamed up online learning as the solution. Nowadays, what people call learning is forced on you. Everyone is forced to learn the same thing on the same day, at the same speed in class. And everyone is different. For some, it goes too fast. For some, too slow. For some, in the wrong direction, he said. From 1993, an AT&T ad campaign predicted tablets that look just like today's. In 1993, AT&T launched their imaginative You Will campaign. In dozens of television commercials, the company asked viewers, have you ever, and then named some crazy feat of technology that couldn't be accomplished at the time, like sending a fax from a beach. This image from their campaign looks exactly like the tablets we now have 20 years later. From 1997, Chris Rock predicted OJ Simpson's If I Did It murder plan. On Chris Rock's 1997 series on HBO, he produced a skit reminiscing about various celebrities who had dropped by the studio to promote their products. He joked that OJ came by to talk about his new video. I didn't kill my wife, but if I did, here's how I'd do it. OJ Simpson published this hypothetical plan for murder in November 2006. From 2006, Scrubs predicts that Bin Laden is hiding in Pakistan. In the 2006 episode of the hilarious TV show Scrubs, the janitor makes an eerie comment on, er, to JD. In my opinion, we should be looking for Bin Laden in Pakistan, he said. U.S. soldiers did indeed find the terrorists hiding in a well-guarded house in Pakistan. From 2006, the president of Euro-Pacific Capital predicted the housing market crash. Peter Schiff, president of Euro-Pacific Capital, predicted the financial crisis in 2008 on numerous primetime news shows. The basic problem with the U.S. economy is that we have too much consumption and borrowing and not enough production and savings. And what's going to happen is the American consumer is basically going to stop consuming, he told Kudlo and company in 2005. At the same time, others, including economists for President Reagan, Art Laffer 
completely denied looming economic troubles. On the show, he said, the American economy has never been in better shape. Even called the momentary policy spectacular. In 2013, an Italian dreamed Pope Benedict's resignation and replacement by Pope Francis. On February 11, 2013, a woman tweeted that her boyfriend told her about a dream where Pope Benedict resigned and a man named Francesco replaced him. 17 late days later, Pope Benedict announced his retirement, and we all know what happened next. Alright, bonus from 2010. Humans aren't the only animals predicting the future. A psychic cephalopod predicted Germany's 2010 World Cup matches. A German octopus named Paul correctly predicted the outcomes of all six of Germany's 2010 World Cup matches. Paul the octopus chose by putting his food into glass cases with the team's logos, lowered into his tank. He didn't confine his omnipotence to just soccer he started weighing in on football and basketball games too before his death in october 2010 i thought it would be cool to look at some crazy predictions and kind of you know see what people predicted that would happen that definitely has not happened so we go over to Time Magazine, where they had an article, Seven of the Craziest Predictions for the Future and from the Past, or from the Past. Back in 1992, in a special issue of Time devoted to predicting what to expect in the new millennium, writer Lance Morrow waxed philosophical about why we prognosticate in the first place. Quoting political scientist Michael Bar Barkun, he wrote, the human mind abhors a vacuum where certainties are absent. We, do, we make do with probabilities, and where probabilities are beyond our power to calculate, we seek refuge from insupportable ignorance in a future of our own imagining. The future we've imagined over the last century has in some cases come to fruition. The global population has skyrocketed as resources have waned. The technology has unlocked boundless potential and eliminated entire categories of jobs. But in other cases, those forecasts remain indecipherable from the plots of science fiction movies. Of course, a prediction that sounded crazy in 1909, say Nikola Tesla's vision of an instrument which will enable bearers to hear anywhere on sea or land from distances of thousands of miles, might essentially later end up in nearly 90% of Americans' pockets. At the risk of looking a fool when some of the coming some of the following come true in a century from now, here's a roundup of some of the looniest predictions since the advent of time, the magazine, not the concept, in 1923. The future human will be a cyclops. Yes, in the distant centuries and millenniaries, man will be a cyclops, a polyphemus, a being with one eye only. So said Dr. Thomas Hall should Shusted in 1933 article about face of the future. The future eye, explained Shasted, would be in the center of the face, below a high forehead, where the bridge of the nose once rested. The doctor reasoned that the human eye originally evolved to see far in the distance, but as modern human reads, writes, repairs watches, cuts gems, examines pictures, and so forth, the cyclopean peer, peeper would evolve to accommodate those close-range tasks and pastimes. 
Grandchildren of television age won't be able to read. Covering the construction of the new TV station in 1951, Time addressed the potential downsides of a newly television-obsessed culture. Our people are becoming less literate by the minute, the writer lamented, suggesting that in zero-sum game of recreational hours, TV would eat up more and more of the time people once spent reading books and thinking thoughts. By the 21st century, our people doubtless will be squint-eyed, hunchbacked, and fond of the dark, the writer predicted. But what am I carrying on like this? Chances of the grandchild of the television age won't know how to read this. Every medical malady will be treatable with a miracle pill. If the Swiss doctor Françoise Odis 1956 prophecy ever came true, hospitals are going to find themselves in a tough spot. One of the most distinguished surgeons in Europe at the time, Odie imagined that all the victories which have been the pride of brilliant surgeons will be forgotten, replaced by the discovery of a substance which, in form of a capsule, will capture the sources of energy that will bring recovery within hours. Such a magic antidote would obviate the need for surgery in most cases, leaving in its wake only dumpsters full of scalpels, but also the physical pain inflicted by tearing the body open, open and sewing it back up. Frogmen will live in undersea bunkers and tend kelp farms. One way to address food shortages of the future, according to the Rand Corp in 1966, eat more kelp. The think tank imagined that huge fields of kelp and other kinds of seaweed will be tended by undersea farmers, frogmen who will live for months at a time in submerged bunkhouses. The kelp, rich in protein, would then be ground into powder, which could be regenerated chemically to taste like anything from steak to bourbon. Those seaweed extracts are commonly used in additives today, They've yet to supplant the rest of our food supply, and so far their cultivators still live on dry ground. Spouses will be able to secretly control one another's moods with a grouch pill. <laughs> the same 1966 article that predicted a kelp-driven food economy had something to say about marital relations as well. If one spouse is in a particular cantankerous mood, his or her partner predicts Rand will be able to pop down the corner drugstore, buy some anti-grouch pills, and slip them into the coffee. Of course, the last century certainly has seen some remarkable advances in psychiatric medicine, from Adderall to Prozac. But as far as instantaneous mood control goes, we're still relegated to old-fashioned remedies, like avoidance and a glass of wine. I just felt like it needed to be said like a 50s advertisement. <laughs> Alright, tomatoes will be square. The mechanization of agriculture during the middle decades of the 20th century drastically changed the face of farming. Some, observed former agriculture secretary Orville Freeman, believe that automation will chill the ageless intimacy between man and his land. Others saw nothing but progress and the increased production modern machinery afforded. Still others saw square tomatoes. Another phenomenon in the not-too-distant future Envisioned the research and development chief at Deer & Co. is square tomatoes, which after all could be more easily packaged by machine and better fit in sandwiches. I think they actually do have square tomatoes though. Haven't you seen those videos where they put like a baby fruit inside of like a 
a secured like plastic square or cube or whatever shape they want to make and then it just fills in where it has room to grow so it fills into that square so i think that one actually is possible all right we'll be able to feel and smell whatever's on our television sets now this would be cool they need to do some 3d printer type i don't know stuff but what i see on tv i want to be able to sample that would be cool Television has not rendered a generation illiterate, though some would argue just barely, and neither has it mastered senses beyond sight and sound. As a 1992 article about multi-sensual media predicted it would, according to Nicholas Negropont, the director of MIT's Media Lab, the 21st century will bring full-color, large-scale holographic TV with force feedback and all-factory output. The images on your TV, in other words, would be feelable and smellable. Features those desirability will vary greatly depending on exactly what it is you're watching. Of course, we've got another 85 years to go in this century. Perhaps someday we'll be able to feel the ruffles of Seinfeld's puffy shirt and get a contact high from watching Weeds. Oh, it was written back in 2015. Alright, cool. So, here we have 10 failed doomsday predictions. Religious leaders, scientists, and even a hen, or so it seemed, have been making predictions for the end of the world almost as long as the world has been around. They've predicted the destruction of the world through fires, floods, and comets. Luckily for us, none of it has come to pass. Number 10 on this list, 2012 Maya Apocalypse. December 21st, 2012 marked the end of the first great cycle of the Maya long cal calendar. Many misinterpreted this to mean an absolute end to the calendar, which tracked time continuously from the date 5,125 years earlier, and doomsday predictions emerged. End of the world scenarios included the Earth colliding with an imaginary planet called Nibiru, giant solar flares, a planetary alignment that would cause massive tidal catastrophes, and a realignment of Earth's axis. Preparations for the end of the world as we know it included a modern-day Noah's Ark built by a man in China and extensive sales of survival kits. Number 9. Herald Camping Among the most prolific modern predictors of the end times, Herald Camping has publicly predicted the end of the world as many as 12 times based on his interpretations of biblical numerology. In 1992, he published a book ominously titled 1994, which predicted the end of the world sometime around that year. Perhaps his most high-profile prediction was for May 21, 2011, a date that he calculated to be exactly 7,000 years after the biblical flood. When that date passed without incident, he declared his math to be off and pushed back the date to October 21, 2011. Number 8. The True Way Taiwanese religious leader Han Ming Chen established Chen Tao, or True Way, a religious movement that blended elements of Christianity, Buddhism, UFO conspiracy theories, and Taiwanese folk religion. That actually sounds dope. <laughs> All right. 
Jen preached that God would appear on U.S. television, Channel 18, on March 25, 1988, to announce that he would descend to Earth the following week in a physical form identical to Chen. The following year, he prophesied millions of devil spirits, together with massive flooding, would result in a mass extinction of the human population. Followers could be spared by buying their way aboard spaceships disguised as clouds sent to rescue them. Number 7. Halley's Comet Panic Halley's Comet passed by the Earth approximately every 76 years, but the nearness of its approach in 1910 created fear that it would destroy the planet, either by a celestial collision or through the poisonous gases it was rumored to contain. A worldwide panic ensued, stoked by media and such newspaper headlines as Comet may kill all life on Earth, says scientists. Well, we definitely haven't stopped with the clickbait. <laughs> a group in Oklahoma tried to sacrifice a virgin to ward off impending doom, and bottled air became a hot commodity. The Earth probably did pass through a part of the comet's tail, but with no apparent effect. Number 6. Millerism Religious leader William Miller began preaching in 1831 that the end of the world as we know it would occur in the second coming of Jesus Christ in 1843. He attracted as many as 100,000 followers who believed that they would be carried off to heaven when that date arrived. When the 1843 prediction failed to materialize, Miller recalculated and determined the world would actually end in 1844. Follower Henry Emmons wrote, I waited all Tuesday, and dear Jesus did not come. I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, sick with disappointment. Number 5. Joanna Southcott Beginning when she was 42 years old, Joanna Southcott reported hearing voices that predicted future events, including the crop failures and famines of 1799 and 1800. She began publishing her own books and eventually developed a following of as many as 100,000 followers. In 1813, she announced that in the following year, she would give birth to a second messiah whose arrival would signal the last days of earth, despite being 64 years old, and as she told her doctors, a virgin. She died before the baby could be born. Number 4. The Prophet Hen of Leeds In 1806, a domesticated hen in Leeds, England, appeared to lay eggs inscribed with the message, Christ is coming. Great numbers of people reportedly visited the hen and began to despair of the coming judgment day. It was soon discovered, however, that the eggs were not, in fact, prophetic messages, but the work of their owner, who had been writing on the eggs in corrosive ink and reinserting them into the poor hen's body. Oh my god. <laughs> Number three, the Great Fire of London. Because the Bible called 666 the number of the beast, many Christians in 17th century Europe feared the end of the world would be in the year 1666. The Great Fire of London, which lasted from September 2nd to September 5th of that year, destroyed much of the city, including 87 parish churches and about 13,000 homes. Many saw it as fulfillment to the end of the world prophecy, giving such a large amount of property damage though the death toll of the fire was remarkably low reported only 10 people not quite the end of the world number two the great flood johannes stofler 
a respected German mathematician and astrologer, predicted a great flood would cover the world February 25th, 1524, when all the known planets would be in alignment under Pisces, a water sign. Hundreds of pamphlets announcing the coming flood were issued and set in motion a, ge and set in motion a general panic. Count von Igelheim, a German nobleman, went so far as to build a three-story ark. Though there was light rain on the day of the predicted flood, no actual flooding materialized. Number one, Montanism. Montanism, a second century schismatic movement of Christianity, began in Pergia, modern Turkey, based on the visions of Montanus, who claimed to speak under the influence of spirit. Montanus believed the second coming of Christ to be imminent. Many Christian or many Christian communities were also abandoned when believers left their homes and migrated to the plain between the two villages of Pepuza and Tamien in Pergia, where Mont Montanus claimed the heavenly Jerusalem would descend to earth. That was an article from Rachel Cole. Right. We go over to Time and Date, where they have an article by Constantin Bikos, The Best Apocalypses in History. The end of the world is near, again. For centuries, doomsdayers have prophesied the apocalypse, but there's a tiny catch. None of the end of the world predictions ever came true. Every year, new apocalyptic predictions wait through dark fringes of the internet and tabloid media. In the past couple of years, the world has predicted, you know, an end in a supernova or a super volcano eruption, a massive asteroid impact, and a new ice age, to name just a few, of the popular doomsday prophecies. Needless to say, none of them have come true. Apocalypse predictions for 2023, which is this year, of course, the current global security situation is worrying, but especially in such a climate of uncertainty, the last thing we need is yet another baseless Armageddon fantasy to exacerbate our anxiety. At the end of the day, despite all the recent heartbreak, humankind is still around and thriving. And yet, as in years past, there's no shortage of fresh end-of-the-world prophecies for the coming year. The following 2023 predictions are currently particularly trendy among doomsday enthusiasts. They are. One of them is the stray earth. One rather bleak prediction for 2023 concerns our home planet losing its way in space. Attributed to the blind Bulgarian mystic Baba Vanga, this prophecy has our climate shift dramatically as Earth veers off course following a global nuclear explosion. So let's get this straight. Humankind will experience a nuclear blast powerful enough to throw our entire planet off its path around the sun. But the thing we're supposed to worry about is Earth's orbit? Alright, the perfect storm. Another prophecy you might come across wants us to believe that a massive solar storm will destroy Earth's magnetosphere, 
exposing us to enough space radiation to end civilization as we know it. And now, guess who supposedly made that prediction? It's Baba Venga again. Alright, the alien invasion. But hang on, there's more. On top of that, 2023 will see the arrival of aliens on Earth, according to another prediction attributed to Baba Venga. No, not the friendly kind. They will be bloodthirsty monsters, resulting in, you guessed it, the end of humankind. Alright. According to some sources, some prophecies were falsely attributed to Baba Venga after her passing in 1996. Our aim here is not to ridicule the person, but to highlight the improbability of the sum of prophecies attributed to her. Alright? The best doomsday predictions that fizzled. If all this has you worried... Have a look at some more notorious doomsday scenarios in history that failed to materialize, just like hundreds of other prophecies throughout the ages. While some of the listed events had tragic consequences for many involved, a look at the track record of prophets and prophecies is a good reminder that there is no need to panic. After all, predicting the end of days is a tricky business. There was, of course, the Mayan calendar ending in 2012 uh there's that guy with the rapture uh i think it was harold camping yep there's a black hole from geneva i've heard this one because of cern scientists used the large hadron collider near geneva switzerland to set up controlled collisions of particles at very high speeds the experiment has caused some to believe that the energy set free by the collisions will form a black hole powerful enough to consume Earth and all life on it. No such black hole has been sighted yet, and several high-profile students have concluded that no such dangers are associated with the experiments conducted at the Large Hadron Collider. There was, of course, Y2K and the Millennium Bug. Toward the end of the second millennium, people around the world feared that the world would end simultaneously with the beginning of the year 2000, or Y2K. This predicted, or this prediction was based on the practice followed by, right, Nostradamus and the King of Terror. Renowned seer Nostradamus prophesied 250 years ago that a King of Terror would come from the sky in 1999. Austrian geologist and Nostradamus buff Alexander Tolman decided to play it safe by sitting it out in the self-built bunker in Austria. He was convinced that the apocalypse was coming early in August. The fear was consolidated by the total solar eclipse, August 11th, 1999. Maybe uh, eclipse was the king of terror. I don't know. All right. The Great Flood and the Flying Saucer. Chicago housewife Dorothy Martin, a.k.a. Marion Keach, claimed to have received a message from the planet Clarion in the early 1950s. The world was to end in a great flood before dawn on December 21, 1954. Martin and a group of followers were convinced that a flying saucer would rescue the true believers before the inevitable destruction of Earth. The belief was so strong that some broke completely with their previous lives, quitting their jobs, leaving their spouses, and giving away money and possessions. Social psychologists Leon Festinger, Henry Riken, and Stanley Shatler infiltrated Martin's group to study the effects of such convictions and the group's reactions when the prophesied event did not occur. Their work... When Prophecy Fails delivered the first instance of 
Fessinger's noted theory of cognitive dissonance. This is from Entertainment uh, Weekly. They're, uh, they have an article here. 16 times the show The Simpsons Predicted the Future by Dan Snyerson. Over the course of dozens of seasons and 700 plus episodes, The Simpsons has offered up approximately 153,149 jokes, give or take a few thousand. More than a few of those gags have paid off in real life by turning out to be eerily or semi-prescient. Uh, the Simpsons truly able to gaze into the future and mine it for laughs, or is it mere coincidence? If it's the latter, duh. Or is that duh? We predict that you'll be pretty impressed as you start scrolling and consider the evidence. Harry situation. What happened on The Simpsons in the 1992 episode Homer at the Bat? Then-Yankees first baseman Don Mattingly, who was recruited to the nuclear plant all-star softball team, was benched by ruthless Mr. Burns because of his sideburns. When What happened in real life, six months before, the ruthless Yankee owner, George Steinbrenner, ordered the team's manager not to play anyone who did not adhere to the clean-cut policy, and Mattingly was benched for not trimming his hair. Even though the episode appeared to be winking at what really happened in the, to the baseball legend, Mattingly recorded this Simpsons role a month before his real-life benching occurred. Super bold over. What happened on The Simpsons in the 1992 episode Lisa the Greek? Homer exploits Lisa's uncanny ability to successfully forecast the outcomes of NFL games. When she discovers what he's up to, she is so upset. She's only able to make the Super Bowl prediction. Washington will win if she still loves her dad, and Buffalo Bills will prevail if she no longer does. Not surprisingly, Washington wins. What happens in real life? A few days after the episode aired, Washington defeated Buffalo in Super Bowl VXVI. The following year, Fox aired a repeat of the episode just two days before the Super Bowl, the next one, and it was redubbed with an update of the two competing teams, the Dallas Cowboys and the Bills, with Dallas replacing Washington in the equation. Dallas defeated Buffalo. The Simpsons went for the three-peat the next year when the two teams returned to the big game, tweaking a few lines to reflect the rematch. Once again, Dallas bested Buffalo. Since then, the episode has been redubbed a few times and shown before the Super Bowl, and has been right, and has been right a majority of the time. Tiger Trauma? What happened on The Simpsons in the 1993 episode Springfield with the S looking like a dollar sign, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying, Love, and Legalizing Gambling, the Springfield equivalent of Siegfried and Roy magicians, is attacked by a white Bengal tiger during one of their shows. What happened in real life? In 2003, Roy Horn was attacked by a white Bengal tiger during a Siegfried and Roy show, leaving him partially paralyzed and ending the long-running act. Grease Grifters What happened to The Simpsons in the 1998 episode Lard of the Dance? Homer recruits Bart to help him make money by stealing grease. They steal... They try to steal grease from the Krusty Burger, as well as from Bart's school. What happened in real life? The rising cost of oil created a black market for grease, 
As noted in 2008's New York Times article, restaurant grease thefts have spiked, and the article opened with the story of a man who stole 300 gallons of grease from Burger King. Future phone. What happens on The Simpsons in the 1995 episode of Lisa's Wedding? A visit to a fortune teller transports Lisa to 2010 when she's talking to Marge via her telephone video chat feature called Picture Phone. What happened in real life? Yes, other Hollywood depictions of the future have predicted similar technology over the years. But guess what? Year Apple overlord Steve Jobs announced the breakthrough video telephony product known as FaceTime, 2010. Formula, future formula. What happened on The Simpsons 1998 episode, The Wizard of Evergreen Terrace, shows aspiring inventor Homer standing next to a chalkboard that boasts a massive equation. What happened in real life? The equation on the chalkboard was impressively close to predicting the mass of the Higgs boson, aka the God particle, when it was discovered in 2012. If you work it out, you get the mass of a Higgs boson that's only a bit bigger than the nanomass of Higgs boson actually is, said Sim Simon Singh, author of the 2013 The Simpsons and Their Mathematical Secrets. It's kind of amazing as Homer makes this prediction 14 years before it was discovered. Uh, for the record, Simpsons writer-producer David Cohen, who has a physics degree from Harvard and computer science degree from Berkeley, asked his friend David Shimanovich, an astrophysics professor at Columbia, to write the equation. Obama drama. What happened on The Simpsons in the 2008 episode Treehouse of Horror, which appeared, which aired prior to that year's presidential election, Homer attempts to vote for Barack Obama on an electronic voting machine, and the machine registers the vote for John McCain. Six times, actually. What happened in real life? In 2012, news outlets, including MSNBC, reported an electronic voting machine was revealed to be swapping votes from Obama to then-Republican nominee Mitt Romney. Buys like us. What happened in The Simpsons in 2007's The Simpsons movie? Uh, the family is on the run, and Marge assures Lisa on a train. It's not the government. It's not like the government is listening to everyone's conversations. The NSA is then shown to be operating a massive surveillance operation, with endless rows of agents at the monitors listening to all America's conversations, including the one between Lisa and Marge. What happened in real life in 2013? As first reported by The Guardian, former CIA employee Edward Snowden leaked classified information from the NSA about the organization's global surveillance programs, which were much more far-reaching than had been reported. The Sport of Corruption What happened on The Simpsons 2014 episode, You Don't Have to Live Like a Referee, mocked corruption inside of FIFA and culminated with the executive VP of the FIFA-like World Football Federation getting arrested for corruption. What happened in real life? In 2015, an FBI IRS investigation resulted in the arrest of high-level FIFA officials and associated for wire fraud, racketeering, and money laundering. All right, Grease Frightening, 2012 episode Politically Inept with Homer Simpson. Homer is a guest pundit on a cable news show. 
and on the ticker scrolling across the bottom of the screen, the alert reads, Europe puts Greece on eBay. What happened in real life? Greece, having received bailout loans in 2010 and 2012, so there was a basis for this joke, defaulted on a third bailout loan from the International Monetary Fund in 2015. It became the first more economically developed country not to be able to make a payment, IMF loan, leading stock markets to tumble amidst fears of Greece exiting the Eurozone. A 2010 episode, Elementary School Musical, Martin shows the four-person betting pool on the Nobel Prize, and Milhouse predicted the Finnish MIT economics professor, Bank Holstrom, would win in this field, while database bets that a Dutch synthetic organ chemist, Ben Faringa, winning chemistry. What happened in real life? Neither won that year, but both Holmstrom and Faringa won their first Nobel Prize in 2016. A jump on Trump. What happened in The Simpsons in the 2000 episode? Bart to the Future. A peek into the future showed Lisa Simpson as President of the United States, telling her staff, As you know, we've inherited quite a budget crunch for President Trump. Before she is told by Secretary of State Milhouse Van Houten that America is broke. What then happened in real life? In 2016, Trump was elected president. Three years into his term, America wasn't broke yet, but the stock market did experience some of its biggest single-day losses during the coronavirus pandemic. Faded Gaga. What happens in The Simpsons in the 2012 episode, Lisa Goes Gaga. Lady Gaga flies over the audience while attached to cables. What happened in real life? In... The 2017 Super Bowl, a cabled Gaga made her entrance by descending from a stadium's roof. Merger Mania, uh, 1998 episode of When You Dish Upon a Star, which featured Homer becoming a personal assistant to Alec Baldwin and Kim Bassinger, offered up a small gag at the end of the episode that 20th Century Fox was now a division of what Disney company? <laughs> According to the giant sign out front of the studio, What happened in real life? In 2017, Disney reached terms to purchase 21st Century Fox, which includes 20th Century Fox film and television studios for $52 billion. The acquisition was completed in 2019. All right, almost done. Olympic glory. In the 2010 episode Boy Meets Curl, Homer and Marge form a mixed curling team and against all odds win gold medal with Sweden claiming silver. What happened in real life? At the 2018 Winter Olympics, the U.S. men's curling team pulled off an improbable comeback and claimed the gold medal, with Sweden winning the silver. And the last one, Reefer Madness. What happened on The Simpsons in the 2005 episode Midnight Rx? Homer, Ned, Apu, and Grandpa Simpson visit Canada, where Ned who is offered some referino, is surprised to learn that pot is legal in Canada. What happens in real life? In 2018, Canada legalized recreational marijuana. Don't know how they did it, but some of these are pretty spot on. I mean, it can be said of 700 episodes, if you throw anything at the wall, eventually something's going to stick, so... All right. And finally, uh, 
I'm going to read some things about uh, the Euphrates River drying up. Uh, apparently, that's a prophecy that supposedly uh, marks some kind of end times, which apparently it is in the current process of drying up. But let's read. All right. Uh, this comes from Encounter Today. Is the drying up of the Euphrates River the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? The Bible predicts that in the last days, the Euphrates River will dry up to prepare the way for the kings of the east to pass through. The river itself is a massive land barrier that would hinder any army from advancing east to west. More than 1,800 miles long and an average of 300 yards wide, the Euphrates River has a substantial source of life in the region. The sixth angel poured out of his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Revelation 16.12 The Bible doesn't say who the kings of the east are. The biblical scholars and theologians have different ideas about who they are. One popular interpretation is that the kings of the east are a reference to the rise of China and other Asian nations as powerful political and economic entities. John predicts in Revelation 9, 16-18, that these kings of the east will boast a standing army of 200 million. That is a bold prophecy, especially when you consider that at a time he was writing, there weren't 200 million people on the planet. However, as you read this today, China has an army of more than 200 million, just as the Bible predicted. It's also worth noting that whatever the kings of the east are, they are seen as a formidable force in the end times and are going to be part of the final battles that will take place before the return of Jesus. Either way, this massive army will need to cross the Euphrates on their way to the Valley of Armageddon. There is another thing about end times that kind of came across my TikTok recently, and it was the fallen angel uh, statue that was found in Russia. Um, yeah, that was super weird. Uh, but January 25th, 2023, a TikToker shared a video of a statue that was claimed to be a fallen angel. The video has since gone viral, and people have different speculations about it. The sculpture was allegedly excavated by miners at a location of 340 kilometers away from the Russian town of Zaya in Emir Oblast. The resident who goes by the username Yura.com Amy R28 Russ shared the video clip on TikTok. A friend of the user reportedly sent him the footage where an old sculpture had been, can be seen. However, it was unclear from the video whether or not the figure was built in a standing or a knelt down position. The statue had a sword and a shield in front of it. A large cloak was covering its head and half of its eyes as well. Although the statue looked eerie, the massive wings on its back made the miners claim it was a fallen angel. However, the press secretary at the Elga Coal Complex confirmed that the sculpture is not a Russian fallen angel. I would never expect anybody to come out and say, yeah, this is a fallen angel. Because um, it's a statue, right? But, I don't know. Some people uh, are associating all of these things, whether it be World War Three, churning... <laughs> Uh, the U.S. economy going under, or the U.S. government sabotaging itself and destroying itself from within, uh, 
there's all the drama with TikTok <laughs> and what the government should and shouldn't be able to uh, monitor as far as our free speech goes. But yeah, just a lot of things happening in the world. And I've tried to kind of put out there that like, yes, some people have predicted the future, but many, many, if not all, yeah, all the doomsday uh, predictions have never come true. So although they're right when they're vague, they can be attributed to certain events that do happen. Uh, it's not a foolproof system in any way that whether you're contacted by aliens or get it through spirit or however you're predicting the future, uh, we're still here. So that should tell you something, give you a little bit of comfort. <laughs> Humans find a way to adapt and survive. And so with that, I know I'm late. Um, <laughs> been really busy lately, but I will try to have a weekly episode out going forward. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode about uh, prophecies and both good and bad. So make sure to follow us on our Facebook page. We have a group on Facebook uh, called Paranormal Stories Spookishes. And it's a great way to connect with us and uh, send me your stories for future episodes. All right. Stay spooky, my friends.